The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Anyway, good morning. Um, Psalm 23 is where we are right now, as you can tell from what was just read. And um, whatever Tom Pounder gets paid, it certainly isn't enough to endure the humiliation he puts himself (laughs) through, is it? Would you read with me Psalm 23, uh, 1 through 3, the passage that we're taking a look at specifically today? Uh, Let's read it together. Um, uh, Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One of my goals in this series is for us to memorize this so well that it just kind of becomes a theme for our lives. I've been really encouraged actually in this series by the number of people that have already uh, emailed me or let me know in some way that they have gone through something and it was so helpful to remember the Lord is my shepherd. They maybe lost a job or they're looking for a job or having financial struggles or some uh, significant need and they've thought, wow, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Today we're going to focus specifically on that verse that says, um, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let's read through that one more time together out loud so that we can help kind of emblazon this on our minds. So, uh, say it out loud with me again. If you want to close your eyes, that's, that's great um, to help memorize Psalm 23, 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. This for his name's sake. That's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you fill this room with your presence? Would you help us to hear your voice as we follow you as the good shepherds? Through Christ, I pray these things. Amen. I've said that I love this passage. I love this poem because perhaps it's one of the most appealing poems in all of history. Who doesn't respond to this appeal? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's heard over and over again in at funerals. Everybody, you know, and, and I, I've, I've found myself quoting this more and more often in the past couple of years because we live in a world that is so divided. But everybody responds to the Lord is my shepherd. There's something within us, deep within us, that, that experiences a strong appeal to the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. But there's another reason why I like this poem, and that's because it is just so downright subversive. On the one hand, it has an appeal that we cannot resist, and yet at the other hand, if you really believe it, it's going to change your lives in ways that you don't want to be changed. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, how wonderful. Wait, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm a sheep, and I'm going to follow him as the shepherd and depend on him as the shepherd, not something else or someone else. He makes me lie down in green pastures, or the passage we're going to take a look at that this morning. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, what if I don't want to go down paths of righteousness? I mean, everybody wants to go down right paths, but there are times, quite frankly, that his paths of righteousness are not quite appealing. They may be difficult. They may be anti, uh, they may go against my emotions. They may go against my culture. And yet, if he is your good shepherd and you want to go down right paths, he's going to lead you down right paths whether you'll like him, those paths or not, because he loves you. How do, we follow down, how do we follow God down his right paths for his name's sake? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And helping me with that this morning is Derek Ritchie. I'm going to ask Derek to come forward. Derek is somebody who's going to be great talking about this because he's much like many of you. He has one of these jobs in the government that I really don't know what he does. And I can't tell you what he does if I knew what he did. He's a language guy and so whatever. And, um, but... But, 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 not only is he like you in that way, but he also, on the other hand, grew up as a missionary, which is not like everybody. He also uh, has a master's degree in discipleship. We talk about discipleship around here all the time. He's got a master's degree in it. He also has taught at seminary before. He also is on our teaching team. And so he brings this great combination of life experiences to teach us, to talk to us about following God down his right path. So would you welcome Derek this morning? So Derek, just to get us started, get us started. Where do we start with the Lord is my shepherd? He leads us down paths of righteousness for his namesake. You got to want to be led. I mean, it sounds simple, but that's where we have to start is we have to believe that God is righteous, which is, again, something that's countercultural. And we have to want to be led down those paths of righteousness because our culture just doesn't doesn't say that. And uh, again, it goes back to God. God says in his word, Hebrews, that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And in order to, to come to him, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So that earnestly seek him part is so important as we go down paths of righteousness. And so that, to me, that's the, the, the first and critical thing that we have to understand. So there has to be a willingness to be led. There has to be, a, therefore, a trust, a yeah. faith that if he leads us, it will be down paths of righteousness. Mm -hmm. And as you've talked to me in the past, that faith is about the fact, for, the fact that he cares. Yep. Yeah, God, again, God loves us. He, he desires our best. He, he does it for his name's sake. It's not our best life now for our namesake. Um, it is our best life for his namesake. That he desires of us to have a full life. The, the Bible describes the best possible relationships that we can have. That we can have first a relationship with God and then a relationship with other people that is in true harmony and true righteousness. 
and that then our life conform, conforming to God's will is full and abundant and exciting. And as I, I've said in many, many sermons, that if you're a Christian and your life is boring, you, you're not doing it right. Because whether you're overseas or whether you're here, if you're following God, he will definitely cause excitement in your life as you're following down paths of righteousness. So foundationally, he leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We have to believe that he actually, that his paths are smarter than ours, because quite when, when push comes to shove, the, sometimes I don't want to follow him because I think that my paths are better. And then we have to believe that he cares more than I do, because again, when it gets difficult, do I, do I really think I know best or do I think that he knows best, that he cares more than I? A lot of reason that people don't believe in God is because they, it's like, if I were God and ran the world, I would run it this way. I'm not going to follow God on this one because I think I care more than he does. We don't necessarily articulate it in those words, but we, that's what we feel. And so it comes to the point where I really believe that he not only knows best, but he cares more. When my fr- prayers get frustrated, it's because I feel like I care more, I know more. Mm-hmm. So following God's paths of righteousness for his name's sake is he knows, tr- begins with a genuine trust that he does know more, he does care more. What path then would you, what wisdom would you give people then to filter decisions to, to know God's right path? We've got we to gotta be in God's Word. I mean, there's, no, there's literally no substitute. If you want to know someone, you have to spend time with them. And God has literally, quite literally, from the beginning of history, has described what a relationship with Him looks like. That He is loving and kind and desires a relationship and He desires for us to be the, he describes what is a human, and then he lived it. He sent his son to live a life as a human being so that we would know that he's not, it's not theoretical. It's not some pie-in-the-sky, unfathomable thing that, in fact, Jesus lived as a human being, that, and, and that's described in his word. So again and again, we have to be steeped in God's word. We have to memorize God's word. We have to know what he says, because if we don't know what he says— then we're just not going to, well, it's going to sound redundant, but then we're not going to know what he says. And we're not going to want to do what he says if we don't know what he says. My guess is that there's not a person in this room that couldn't have given that answer. Yeah. It's not, that's not, in a sense, enlightening, profound, whatever, so simple. Why is that the first, I mean, when we first started talking, when you first wrote to me, it's like, God's word, God's word, God's word, God's word. Why does that matter so much to you? Where can you share some something from your own life? Yeah. Why that matters so much to you? My my dad made us memorize scripture, and I mean made. It was under duress uh, at the bus stop in the morning. So we would wait probably 10, 15 minutes for the bus, and uh, we would start start memorizing scripture. And the um, Ephesians 4.32, which is, um, let's see, of course, I'm going to completely forget. Kind and compassionate to one, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Fundamental to the Christian walk, right? 
What if I don't want to forgive other people? What if I don't want to be kind? What if I don't want to be compassionate? So many times when I've wanted to be mean, when, mm. I've, wanted, when I've got that zinger, that, that perfect, mm. that scripture will come to mind. Be kind and compassionate. Mm. Forgiving, forgiving, just as in Christ God forgave you? Well, I mean, if you're going to use Jesus as an example, what's my excuse? He leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah. And you find yourself in a situation. It takes us back to the temptations of Jesus, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Absolutely. Jesus is tempted three times. He doesn't follow some inner emotion. Mm-hmm. He goes to Scripture. And you're saying God brings Scripture to your yep. mind. Keep going on that. Another one, when I was single and uh, wanted to play the field a little bit, I think maybe the third verse from my memory, I was maybe six or seven years old. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And I would be in a bar or I would be somewhere mm. and I would be chatting up some beautiful young woman that was not a Christian, in many cases very clearly. And that verse would come to my mind and it would make me angry. <laughs> and then I would have to break off that conversation because the Holy Spirit, again, Dad knew what he was doing. And the, and, but because that was in my heart, God's word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God, Mm. both from Psalm 119, that beautiful passage of 150 verses about what God's word, longest passage in scripture, all about God's word and what it does to us and with us. Now think about, what what did y'all just hear God say through Derek? That very, how very practical... He leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You're in a bar, and you're not just Derek. You are Derek, the child of God. Mm -hmm. And God uses his word that that he's planted in your heart in that moment to make a wise decision that, I mean, think how many people have made foolish decisions that they will carry regret the rest of their lives because at that moment, without Scripture informing them, they didn't follow God's right path. Um, So no Scripture is huge. Hide Scripture in your heart. Um, What's another element that's important in knowing God's path of righteousness for His name's sake? We have to... We have to have people in our lives that tell us the truth. Not tell us what we want to hear, not encourage us in whatever we want, but to tell us the truth. I have three men in my life that uh, are are my essentially accountability partners. And uh, my brother particularly, who is um, very too deep in my opinion, but Dason will pull out some philosopher and talk to me in, in, at length about it. But he can, he, I can bring a decision to Dason, and Dason will say to me, that's my brother's name. Yes, my parents were a little weird in the 70s. That's the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my life. Why would you want to do that, Derek? And of course it makes me angry, and I get upset, but I've, he's, he has permission to do that. And then um, also on Thursday nights, I meet with a, with a, uh, a man. I used to attend Linton Hall regularly. And I will run a passage, uh, something I want to say to Christy. 
I'll say it out loud to Chris, and just saying it out loud to Chris, him, him being godly, will let me know that's not, no, we're not going to talk to my <laughs> wife like that. <laughs> and that, that godly counsel just informs me over and over and over again. And then th- this, this is so huge. I, I love that second song that we, that we sang this morning. I, there's, I just love that song because it just reminds us that we, the, what's heaven's going to be like? That heaven is to the glory of God, and we will be privileged. And when we stand in front of God, again, as we know from Scripture, that we'll be overwhelmed by his power and honor and, mm. and might, and that will be the, the best possible thing that we could do. Mm. So was, I've, I'm here two things, actually three things, two from, from that last thing you just said. Um, f- first of all, do you know God's Word? We're so enthusiastic by the number of people who have committed to reading the Bible every day at New Life, and that you've made yourself accountable by going public with us to say, I will read the Bible every day. Second, you can't be in isolation. If you are in isolation walking the path, you will go down paths of unrighteousness. I think to some degree we isolate because we want to go down paths of unrighteousness. We don't want to hear God's voice when we don't want to hear God's voice. We want to go our own path. And then, so, so if you're walking in isolation, if you, if you don't have a wisdom of multitude of counselors, why, so, why I'm so enthusiastic that so many of you are connected in a group that is reading the Bible together and you're doing more than just reading the Bible together, you are walking life together. That's great. The third thing, though, that you just said there is um, we have to have an experience of heaven even now. Um, that, that, that line for his name's sake. What does that mean? He leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's a picture of heaven. It's all for his glory. And here's the question. Do you want to live life completely for God's glory? Do you want to live in an existence that is all about God's glory or not? If you don't want to live all in God's glory, there's no room for glory for anybody else. You're not going to like heaven because heaven is a place. It's going to be totally God's glory. And so we live in a heaven-like experience now when we live totally for God's glory. And God wants to lead us down paths of righteousness for His glory, as you've said before, because that's also for our best. Yeah, absolutely. But when we worship together, we experience His presence. We experience His glory, His character. It's a foretaste of heaven. And so it's one reason why it's important for us to worship together regularly. So um, know the Bible be connected, have Christian friends and counsel, I would ask, who, who are your three people that you're going to regularly? Who are your mentors? Um, I have at least, I have two that I talk to weekly, um, but, but more than that even. Um, uh, maybe it's just because we're so needy. We, we, yeah. we need to have our mentors. But everybody Boy, does. Boy, do I ever. And then third thing is conscience. Yeah, a godly conscience. And for a Christian that has made the decision to, to follow God, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'll just put a, a plug in for baptism. Yes, we follow God with making the decision and come and believing Him. But the Bible says that that, that, that line that we, that we know that we are given the Holy Spirit is in the waters of baptism. 
that, that we can know that that's when the Holy Spirit came into our lives. I don't know if it's, that's when it's given to us necessarily, but at least we can know that that's… And then, a- Acts 2.38. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of sin, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit yeah. we, that promise is given there for sure. Go yep. ahead. And that's, that's, that's what a godly conscience is, and informed by the Holy Spirit. Again, we are told in Scripture that, you know, Jesus said that, hey, you're going to, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so that when you're in situations, you'll remember what I said to you. And of course, if we're not, it goes back, you know, one goes to three and two goes to three and three goes to one. If we're not putting God's Word in our lives, how is the Holy Spirit going inform, to inform us of what God says? If we've never looked, we don't understand, it's not in our memory. Hmm. That God doesn't, God doesn't work. Sometimes He does, but He doesn't usually work by, bam, you know, know the Bible. You know the Bible because you've studied the Bible, and then the Holy Spirit uses those, those passages, that understanding, that discussion that you had last week with your mentor, mm. six years ago with your dad, about, about what to do in this situation. Mm-hmm. I want you to talk about the dangers of what we would call modern-day Gnosticism here in a second. But here's the wonderful thing. The, the, the power of Psalm 23 is that Jesus is our good shepherd. John chapter 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. And then verse 27, he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Jesus is saying, if you are my, if I'm your good shepherd, you surrendered your life to me, then you will hear my voice and follow. The danger of modern day, of modern day, if we don't know the Bible, if we don't have good godly spiritual counsel, is that we will say it is the voice of Jesus following me when it's really our own voice. Mm-hmm. Um, Barna did research five years ago, George Barna, that said 10% of Christians, um, nine out of 10, yeah, 10, 10% of Christians had a Christian world, biblical worldview most recent research that he did after COVID says 1%, 1 to 2%. That's, that is frightening. 41% of senior ministers have a biblical worldview. So just because somebody's in ministry, 12% of youth ministers and children's ministers have a biblical worldview. Just because somebody's a pastor, just because somebody's in ministry, does not mean that they're thinking biblically. Um, and so what happens is, if you don't know the Bible, if you're not thinking biblically, why, it, the danger is we then put, we substitute, this Gnosticism, we substitute our own voice for God's voice. We say it's God's voice, but it's like, I have this own special knowledge. And that's not what Jesus means when he says, you will, they, my sheep hear my voice and follow. So talk about the dangers of confusing our voice for Jesus' voice. Why is it that we do that? Because we want to do what we want, right? I'm a rebel. I like doing my thing. I want to be happy. I want, I want, I want people to serve me. I mean, Scripture says for me to serve, serve others, starting with, with my wife and then my, my kids and moving out in concentric circles. Consider others better than yourself. What? I mean, that's, that's the command of Scripture. Let's go ahead and read that, <laughs> uh, Philippians 2, if you want to put it up there. 
again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself, more important than yourself. The world says you are the purveyor, you are the sum total of, of what is right and what, is, what is, needs to exist. Self-actualize. Dig down deep in yourself, figure out who you are, and then follow your, your emotion. Trust your feelings, Luke. I, I don't have strong enough words to say how stupid that is. What, what, when, uh, I do, but I can't use them anymore because <laughs> I've been sanctified. Well, and you and I have talked a bunch about how that it goes back to 18th century and even yeah. before that romanticism where the idea is um, you know what's best. Deep inside your heart, you know what's best. But what happens is we get enchained by the expectations of others. We get chained by the expectations of culture. We get chained by expectations of family. We get chained by expectations of religion. And if we can just free ourselves from all of those chains, then we'll be free to be our true, authentic selves. You know, uh, there's a a philosophical term for that, but basically it's just selfish individualism. Mm -hmm. Um, So, Again, keep going on that. So if, if that's the default mode, that's the default worldview, mm-hmm. if we're not careful to listen to God's voice. There was, a, there was a wonderful experiment, and in case you're wondering, I'm being sarcastic, that the, the French Revolution said that there is no more God, that we are going to replace God with the goddess of reason. And they, they did. They replaced God with literally. They, statues went into Notre Dame, took out, the, the symbols of Christ put in the statue. And because they were so reasonable, they, were, they ended up being very nice to one another, no conflict. That was, this is why we study history, right? So very, that we can learn from that. Very tolerant. There was, they were super tolerant of everybody that disagreed with them. They all came together and just hashed it out reasonably. No, they started murdering each other. And it was called the terror because you just didn't know and again, over and over again, we see that in, in, a, in any society that begins to put each individual at the pinnacle. We look at Cambodia. We look at um, communist Russia. We look at the Great Leap Forward under Mao. We look at any society. Our, our current society's violence is based on, it is not based on tolerance. We are not tolerant. We are not reasonable with one another. Nietzsche said, when we kill God, what is left is a will to power. And he was absolutely right. Now, it flares up from time to time in actual war. But the desire for power that we have, the desire for me to be first, will create the exact opposite of what we're looking for. And we will have conflict. And the most powerful, the person with the most guns and the most money, will win in that situation. Well, you, you get Nietzsche or Freud, which is yeah. somebody has said the raised fist or the raised phallus. Yeah. You have the deification of power. You have the deification of sex. Yep. So sex is what defines everything. Sex is where your fulfillment is. Sex is where your identity is. Um, the, where was I going with this? 
that that self-actualization is probably not a good thing. Yeah, no, it's not. So I'll, we'll come back to it when we come back to it. But, oh, I know. Think of how we've shifted. And again, the, the whole idea is he leads us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But if we are not into God's word, if we're not together thinking scripturally, encouraging each other daily, as, and not neglecting of the meeting ourselves as, uh, together as some are in the habit of doing, the Bible says in Hebrews, then we become, we think like the world, and we don't go down paths of righteousness. In the 1960s, I was just I was reminded of this last night. In the 1960s, the Rolling Stones wrote a song called Let's Spend the Night Together, but they couldn't play it on the radio. So they had to change the words to let's spend some time together. How many of us today, not just non-Christians, but how many Christians today would be, their consciences would be pricked if you heard a song on the radio that said, let's spend the night together? How many of us would think, oh, that's immoral, that's bad, that's not good? Our conscience in the United States, as our collective conscience was so much more attuned to holiness even in the 60s, not, not because we we're a Christian nation, but just to, to where we are now where our consciences have become so seared. If we are not in the Word, if we're not in the Bible, if we're not speaking Scripture to each other, we're going to be going down, we're going to hear voice and we're going to think it's the voice of God, but it's our own voice that is rationalizing, and this mm -hmm. is where we're going, this is the whole yeah. thing, that is reasoning, that, I mean, that is in rebellion against God, that is rationalizing sin or, um, and accepting things that, that God would say, um, it's not the right path. Yeah. And it's not about legalism. Nope. I, I was in Bible, I'm in Bible college, I'm playing soccer. And we decided, you know, we have freedom in Christ. We're going to swear a lot. And our manager came to us and she said, look, look, gentlemen, <laughs> which was a, a loose use of that word. Um, we're, we're in Bible college. We're playing other Christian teams. And, and you guys say that you want to be holy. So why don't you stop swearing? And to my great shame, in fact, I, I feel guilty even now when I tell this story. We made fun of her for being holier than thou. When what she was calling us to for his name's sake, right? That was the whole point, that we're in Bible college. We're supposed to be calling people into relationship with Jesus. We're supposed to be different. And I made fun of her because she was just telling me what was true and right and noble and holy. Again, Philippians 4.8. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do my own thing. And I, we, and, we, and I rationalized it because I wanted to do what the other guys were doing. I wanted to be in. I wanted to fit in. And we all were doing that together. And there is a right, self-righteous way to say yeah. that to somebody. She and there is a self-righteous self attitude about yeah. that somebody can have about yeah. that. Or even, I don't swear and therefore I'm better than others. Or I don't swear and therefore legalism, therefore God owes me salvation. That's legalism. Legalism yeah. is not doing the right thing and being holy. Legalism is believing that that somehow earns me salvation or makes me superior to others. Mm-hmm. Okay, the reality is I should want to be holy because God says be holy as I am holy because I want to honor him. That's not legalism. It's legalism to focus on the externals for the sake of the externals and not for, for the sake of relationship with God. Yeah. By the way, so the, please, the application is not go out and judge everybody who says bad words this week, okay? The, the application is what does it mean for me to be holy 
And if somebody's not a Christian, we shouldn't be surprised that they don't have that conscience. And don't be offended because you can have a whole world that's not swearing and still going straight to hell. You know, so training the world not to swear is not the answer to, to, to the problem. Okay. And now, I wish I could say I've totally stopped swearing ever. Yeah. It's something I struggle with, which is probably yeah. why I'm mentioning it, and it's probably why the Holy Spirit's bringing it to my mind. Yeah, yeah. And more than once I swear in my mind, I just don't say it out loud. Yeah. Um, I said it to Pat the other day. I was talking to Pat on the phone the other day, and I kicked my, t- my toe on something. I said to Pat, I just cursed in my mind. <laughs> and Pat's like, I'm so proud of you. Anyway, I said, don't be. Um, so talk for a second about the difficulties because, um, first of all, he leads us down paths of righteousness. Do you really want to go down this path of righteousness when you feel like rebelling, when you feel like rationalizing? Because everything in the world says, you don't have to go that, down that path. That path isn't wrong. That path is good. Um, and you can find preachers and teachers who will tell you the path of sin is a good path. The path of sexual immorality is a good path. Um, but talk then about the difficult situation. How do we discern? So we need to know the Bible. We need to have uh, Christian, a mature Christian counsel. We need to have a healthy, good, godly conscience. But talk about for a second, sometimes God gives us, leads us down paths of righteousness, and there are five choices that we can make, and there's still the path of righteousness. I don't want people to get fixated thing. oh no, there's only one right decision every time. There are five good ones. The thing is, there just aren't a hundred paths of righteousness. Talk, talk about discerning those. Again, to me, God will never contradict himself. So the, the first, when we're, when we're presented with a choice, uh, I know we're hammering this, but what does God's Word say? You know, do I cheat on my wife or not? God, God is not in, in the cheating. That is, that is a poor choice. Okay, what about the good choices? What do I eat today? Well, for me, uh, I need to, to follow God's clear command, not be, not be a glutton. There's certain foods that, for me, are not permissible, but are totally permissible to everybody else. Paul talks about that in, in, over, over and over again. Um, I, was, I was telling Brett earlier, the, one of the best sermons I ever heard was about food sacrifice to idols in Singapore, and he was actually talking about food sacrifice to idols, <laughs> which we don't tend to think about. But that because whole pa- in Singapore, yeah, they Because in Singapore, didn't. they sacrificed food to yeah. idols, and they would go to their anyways. Yeah. Um, but it, it comes down to... What causes, what causes my, my brother or sister to stumble? It goes back to what huh. for his namesake. Am, am I choosing things that are putting in my brother's and sister's path? And it goes back to humility. Every thought is supposed to be captive. Mm. Everything that comes into our mind, every choice that we make, because life is a series of decisions. And there are plenty of excellent, wonderful, fantastic decisions, but are we, are we thinking about the choices that we're making. I, I tend to not. Mm. And I am reminded by the rest of my family, which is why God put introspective introverts into my life, is to remind me to got, not go off half-cocked. To think about, okay, what is this, what is this decision going to make? Because, right, because you can easily just go... You, you don't go off on that first decision. It's the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth decision that I don't keep captive, that thought that I don't keep captive. Mm. And, then, and then I'm way off the path. 
the, the, the result of today is not legalism. The result of today is not fear of making the wrong decision. If we're in Christ, it should be freedom. It should be free, freedom giving. Um, but the result of, but what we do want, what I think God would call us to, he leads us down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is the picture of a sheep that is following the shepherd all the time. So we are consciously making decisions on everything. What does it mean for Jesus to be your good shepherd in every decision down every path? So when it comes to food, I'm making decisions about food all the time. Now, there are lots of decisions that are within the realm of okay. There are some decisions that are within the realm of not okay. It's not okay to be gluttonous. It's not okay to to get drunk. It is okay for me when I'm 19 years old to get a hamburger to get many hamburgers. It's okay for me at 57, maybe once a month to get a hamburger. Not that it's sin necessarily, but it's just not wise. I'm making decisions all the time. Should I have more greens or should I have more? What if that's not just a what is best for Brett decision because Brett is king of his life, but what's God's right path for me? What does it mean for us, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, to take every thought and make it captive to Christ, to set us free to go down his path of righteousness. What if every thought, how much money do you have that was not given to you by God? How much talent do you have that you came up with? Every good and perfect gift is from God. So what if every decision I make about my money is not just a decision of me and my money, but I'm thinking, God, what's your right path so I can live in freedom? And he may give you 15 good choices with that money, but at least you're consciously disciplined in thinking about what's God's right path, and I'm not just following a path of least resistance. I'm not just following a path of my emotions. And how much would God save us from destruction if we would go down those paths? Okay, let me read down. Let me read through five questions for following God's paths of righteousness. This, if you want to look on your phones in the app, these, these, are, these questions are in the notes for today. And then I'm going to ask um, Derek to share some closing thoughts. Here's a good question for you. Am I willingly loving Jesus and others above myself? Hmm. Philippians 2. Or is it to my own self be true? Following myself first. Number two, am I following the crowd... Or am I willing to be singled out, set apart for Christ? That's the definition of holiness, set apart for Christ, and set apart from the crowd. Number three, am I the boss of my time, treasure, and talents? Is the good shepherd leading me in the totality of my time, treasure, and talents? So, like, it's easy for me to say, Lord, I'm going to give you my first 10%, and then I, don't, and I think oh, I'm going to spend the rest however I want but in the totality. Number four, do I follow the good shepherd's righteousness or do I rationalize so I can follow the crowd's way or follow my own voice? Am I rationalizing a way? This is what's so dangerous in our time is that the Bible's been really clear. New Testament Christianity has been very clear for centuries and all of a sudden people are coming up with new definitions for what love is, for what good is, for what evil is. It's like, oh, huh. Are you just rationalizing or are you really wanting to follow the Lord's way? Number five, 
when the good shepherd says obey, am I willing to follow even if I'm afraid? That's one of the main reasons I don't want to follow because I'm afraid. Even if I disagree, even if it causes short-term troubles. Share some closing thoughts on following God's path of righteousness. What are the key? Review the keys yeah. for you and, and, and why. We, we must be convinced that God loves us. He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. He sacrificed His Son for us. I have a son, one. And uh, none of you are worthy of my son's sacrifice. But God sacrificed His Son when I was, when I was completely unworthy. And there's a wonderful story in C.S. Lewis's The Magician's Nephew. And Diggory, Aslan is the Christ figure there, and, and Diggory is sent to get a, a, a fruit from the tree of life. Diggory's a, like a little boy. Diggory's a little boy. Yeah. And his mom's dying of cancer, and she's back in this other world. She's not in Narnia. And the, 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 the person, Jadis, that turns into the White Witch is there, and she takes from the tree and she eats uh, to her own evil desires, but she's still there. And Diggory comes, and he comes to get the fruit, and the, and the witch says to him, which is what the, the personification of Satan, Aslan does not care about you. You could take the fruit, live forever, heal your mom. You have it right in front of you. But Aslan said, get the fruit and bring it back to him because all he cares about is his glory and his honor. And Diggory remembers that when he talked about his mom, Aslan had tears in his eyes. Aslan cared. So he's able to resist the witch and take the fruit and go back to Aslan. And Aslan has him plant that, and it grows into a tree of life. And then Diggory takes the fruit, and they come back to, to this world and feed that fruit to his mom, and she's healed. After he obeys Aslan. After he makes the hard choice. After he doesn't know or not if, his, if Aslan really does care about his mom. We have to be convinced. And the way we're convinced is to follow Christ wholeheartedly. Dallas Willard, in Knowing Christ is A, says you cannot know God without following him. It's impossible. You can't follow God from afar. And that's what we're calling, what we're asking today is know him. Be in his word. Follow him with other people. Understand his calling in your life and then do that. Make the hard decisions. Keep every thought captive and you will, you will experience the kind of life that Jesus said, Jesus said I, I want you to experience an abundant life. And that's, that's what we're pleading for you this morning. Experience that abundant life. It is available through God's word and through following him with his people. If you could give people one book to read that's been really helpful for you lately in thinking about God's love for us and truth and following God's will. Yeah. Would you share that book? Um, I'm reading Andrew Kavan's The Truth and Beauty. Uh, it's just, it's a fantastic, he's talking about the romantic poets and how they were wrestling with the loss of truth and how they saw beauty and how some of them were able to reconcile that beauty back into following God and Rousseau and others were, were not able to, uh, were not, and Keats were not able to, to do that. 
Same thing we're, we're wrestling with today, and it just kind of frames the Beatitudes. Exactly. So I, I wanted to give you some, just another, if you're a reader, practical things to help think. Andrew Clavon's The Truth and Beauty. Yeah. The other one that I've been reading lately that's great, it's called Strange New World by Carl Truman, T-R-U-E-M-A-N. Anything right now by Carl Truman. Listen to him on YouTube if you want to lecture. Um, this book is called How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. And he reveals how people think the way they think. If 99% of us have a non-biblical worldview, he'll sh he'll, what he writes here will tell you what's influencing our worldview. It's, it's just, it's really good. So um, what's your next step with Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can trust that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that you've given us your word, which is true. I pray, Lord, that each of us in this place right now would hear your voice and take whatever next step you have for us. Through Christ I pray. Amen.